You're listening to Look Who's Talking. I'm Brad Hillegas. Today I'm joined by John Schrader. John spent over three decades in the sports broadcasting industry working Super Bowls, World Series games, All-Star games. He worked for the San Francisco 49ers, the Golden State Warriors, and also won an Emmy for his work in the Game 7 broadcast of the San Jose Sharks. He's put together multiple sports documentaries and currently produces and hosts a podcast entitled Watch the Media out of KRNU Studios on the campus of the University of Nebraska, where he's also a professor of sports media, journalism, and broadcasting. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thank you very much. I hope that guy's interesting. <laughs> I mean, that sounds fun. I hope he's good. Well, I hope did, he knows what he's talking about. Did I leave anything off there? Uh, you anything did, major? but it's okay. That's fine. That's fine. That's fun. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, John, um, is because you've uh, held a mirror up to your own profession for some time now, specifically in your in your podcast, Watch the Media. It takes kind of a critical view of the media. Um, it's a profession in which you've excelled uh, professionally. Well, thank you. Um, why is it important to you to be critical of, of this profession that you've been successful in? Well, I mean, I, I spent my entire adulthood in broadcasting, uh, mostly as a broadcaster, and then the last 10, 12 years as uh, some broadcasting and, and teaching and and mentoring and professing and whatever else it is we do. Um, so it's really important to me. It's It's been a really important part of my life. And uh, I like to understand what we're doing in it now, uh, what we could do better, uh, why and how and what the process is of broadcasting. It helps me understand where we are in the business now, especially since I don't work in it day to day, so to speak. Um, and it also helps me understand how uh, where we're going. And it helps me really um, when I'm working with students as well. Um, it helps me meet people. It helps me keep on top of the business, understand what the trends are, um, how we're doing things, where the jobs are, those kinds of things. So there's a variety of things. Do I have to do it? Absolutely not. There's, there's, there's really no, uh, there's no money in it. Not really, huh, John. There is absolutely no money in it uh, whatsoever. I have not monetized it at all, nor have I been interested in doing that. But it's helped me in a number of ways just to stay in touch, just to keep in touch. Well, it's it seems atypical for a podcast to try to be or not have the aspiration to be kind of a side <laughs> cash cow yeah. for somebody. So what kind of freedom does that afford you when you're creating a podcast that's purely based on just what you want to do? Well, I suppose I could try to monetize it, um, but the effort of doing that isn't really worth it to me. So, um, so. It, it, I think there would be the same freedom to do what I like and how I do it and the guests I get, um, even if I weren't moni- even if I were monetizing it. I think I would try to get the same people, uh, try to get the same kinds of ideas shared, the same ideas generated. So um, maybe one day I'll wake up and say, you know, I've lost a lot of money. There's a lot of money left on the table here that's just rolling down the hill, coin after coin. Um, but it hasn't been that important to me. So it's a great fear of mine to wake up and say I've lost a lot of money. Well, wow. you know, it's 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 you haven't really lost the money. It's just money you've never gained. I, yeah, right? I yeah. would have to have money before I could lose money. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I want to talk about a little bit um, mm-hmm. this trend that's been developing over the past few decades of athletes moving into the broadcast mm-hmm. booth um, as a very humble, very. Uh, small platform base right now as a young broadcaster trying to get into it i see athletes kind of making a a pretty natural transition into getting on the microphone or getting in front of a camera uh and delivering with their expertise and just their general knowledge of the game Um, we've had very two different results for teammates and former athletes tony romo jason witten yeah uh pretty recently jason witten 
decided to unretire and no. go back to play the game of football, whereas Tony Romo has been a wild success with CBS over the past couple of years, so much so that people are calling him a football clairvoyant. And <laughs> it kind of sounds that way. He, he did the Super Bowl, yeah. and he's kind of eclipsed Jim Nance almost right. in, in terms of being able to deliver entertainment. Um, that's not the success case for everybody, but what allows athletes to transition so seamlessly and be, for the most part, successful? Because there seems to be a growing number of athletes in the broadcast business. Yeah, I think those two guys are really good examples. Not just contemporary examples, but really good examples of what does happen and what can happen when you leave another profession and try to get to the top levels. See, here's the thing, is Romo and Witten were put in the top levels of the business without any training, without any background, without any um, experience, and had to rely on a number of things to get by. Witten isn't nearly as natural, and that was obvious. Romo seems to be very natural at it. In fact, every couple, three generations, I think, um, a former athlete or coach comes along, and that person is a natural. And um, gosh, it's been almost 40 years now. John Madden retired as coach of the Raiders when he was pretty young. I don't think he was 50 years old when he retired from the Raiders and became a broadcaster and was an overnight sensation, almost a Tony Romo. Uh, Tony Romo is almost a, a, a replication of that, an overnight sensation as a color announcer. But there haven't been many in between in those in those 40 years. There haven't been many who who had that. Whatever it is, they have it. So Romo has it. He has a personality. He's smart. He, he he knows the game very well. He's not afraid to criticize players. He's either played with or against his contemporaries, and um, and he and he apparently works hard at it. It's pretty obvious he works hard at it. Um, Witten, I suppose, worked hard at it. I suppose he wasn't afraid of criticizing his uh, peers or his teammates, but he just didn't quite have that it factor. I don't think um, that just that 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 personality that that something inside of you that makes you click and the rest of us don't. And uh, so I think Rome was taking advantage of that. I think he saved Jim Nance's career, to be quite honest with you. I thought the Jim Nance-Phil Sims act was really stale. CBS knew it was stale. CBS got really lucky. No, not very often do, and, I, and I've read about this, of course, that, that Romo came in to do, the, to do the studio work and sat down next to Nance, and halfway through his first game, the CBS executive said, wow, this guy's got it. They He's disassembled that crew pretty quick they, to, to get boom, to Romo you know, and Mike. See you later. And so, so for Witten... I think he had a couple of uh, – uh, so, so Romo had it all there, right? It's all there. Romo's the guy. He's the number one guy in the business now uh, of, of analysis in the NFL as analysts, right? Witten doesn't have the personality, and he's, he's judged against Romo, right? Which is unfair. Almost exclusively. Right. And there are right. so many other broadcasters. You know, they played together. He was a tight end, caught all those passes, all that stuff, right? right? So he's judged against Romo. Or judged by the Romo standard, I should say. And that's not fair. And then he was stuck in a really odd, funky ESPN broadcast booth. I think Tessator is, is, a, is a quality play-by-play guy. Uh, Booger um, McFarlane is the guy they put down on the field. They tried some stuff. They tried some new broadcasting stuff, which is good. Which is good because it's important that we keep innovating. We keep finding new ways to do this. But it just didn't seem to have that chemistry. And Witten was the victim of that bad chemistry, I think. And, uh, and now he was such a victim of that bad chemistry, he's going back to playing. 
Yes. Right? Oh, He's yeah. decided to, yeah. to, to, to go back to playing. So the broader question, if you want me to answer the broader question about well, I'll let you ask a question, and then I'll answer it. Well, How about that? I was going to say, for, for young broadcasters who are up and coming now, they're, they're, you look at the model that these networks seem to be chasing, which is a polished play-by-play who can roll with the punches as, as well as they can do any other skill in the booth and pair it with someone who has credibility that comes from a professional carrier within that sport. Yeah. So in my experience, I, I can't speak for you, but color commentary is a blast. You're not so much having to tell the story as much as you're able to just talk about the game and the ebbs and flows and let the play-by-play kind of set that tone and you just kind of go with the rhythm of the game. But that seems to not be a job that's actually available for young broadcasters not anymore to, you. to, to do color right. commentary. Yeah, not to you. And it's been that way for a long time. Um, it, it's been that way almost since I was your age. 40 years ago, um, it was difficult for um, for announcers, to, to for, for young non-accomplished, if I can say that, athletes to be the color announcer. So that formula has been there for a long time. What should be troubling probably to you and other professional broadcasters is that there is a growing trend of moving former athletes into play-by-play positions, especially in, in baseball, in Major League Baseball. More of the former announcers have moved into those sort of primary roles that have been almost exclusively to, as you say, professional broadcasters, polished professional broadcasters, anchors. I would call them anchors of the show, right? Sure. And um, so there's been more of a trend of moving those names. Um, And there's been more of a trend in broadcasting, in all broadcasting, to move names into positions sometimes for which they're not quite qualified. In fact, I think oftentimes they're not quite qualified, but they get that job because they have the names. So I hope that the pendulum will swing back here soon and a little bit harder to, to uh, the, the, the professional polished uh, craftsmen and women who do play-by-play. And then the sidekick is the former player, the former coach, the person who's not the quote-unquote professional broadcaster and leave the business of kind of running the show play-by-play anchoring to the to the professionals mm-hmm. it's funny that you mentioned that because i i was going to ask this question later on but because it's come up that networks seem to be fine grabbing these names that they know people want to hear from maybe not long term but they're fine saying hey we're going to rent you basically as a color or an or an analyst is the the more uh, adapted term now and you've seen Urban Meyer go into broadcasting for a year to escape Florida, get to Ohio State. Um, currently, we looks like it, he's doing it again, it, isn't it? It does, right? Yeah. And, and, it, and it works because it, he gets a little relief. He get he has time to kind of solidify and, and sturdy himself, and then find a position. Not saying Urban is doing that; he may be, uh, but it it is a little bit of a risk for a network to go out and grab somebody. Whereas in the NBA, you look at a guy like Chauncey Billups, who had a fantastic career, won a championship has moved on to ESPN's NBA uh, analysis team, but he's interviewed for multiple general management jobs in the NBA. So they're grabbing players who maybe are a little bit more polished, but or, or in baseball, Aaron Boone, mm-hmm. who went from playing to, to the managing. box to managing the Yankees right, right. and almost exclusively was he's not going to be their long-term solution to analysis or broadcasting, but he was a name people wanted to listen to. Yeah. Did networks well, seem to go for those short-term guys? Well, see, the the idea of bringing somebody in like that on short-term doesn't bother me as much 
as it does um, um, bringing in people like that who are who, who turn out to be unqualified and then they don't know what to do with them, who turn out to be not very good and then they, they don't know what to do with them. And then they just keep repeating the same mistakes. They keep repeating the same cycle, you know, the, the rinse and repeat and the clothes never get cleaned, right? And that, and that, and that happens. What's, what's changed a lot in the broadcast business in the last quarter century is that the business is run less now by professional broadcasters than it is by um, investor operators, hmm. people who are looking at stockholders and trying to take care of stockholders. And the companies that still are run by professional broadcasters, I think, continue to make good decisions about professional broadcasting. ESPN is in an interesting situation now because I think I think sometimes they sort of forget who they are. Um, they're 24 hours of sports, and they have I don't know how many different channels and I don't know how many different ways to communicate, and they make decisions sometimes that are curious to me, and and um, this this may seem critical, and it probably is, but they take a guy like Chris Fowler, who is an eminently awesome studio college football host who knows everything and everybody about college football. And because Chris Fowler is at the point where he's got some leverage and he has some ambitions and he doesn't want to do that any longer, he's been doing it for 20 years, I get that. But then they put him in a play-by-play job on the the primetime game with Kirk Herbstreet in the play-by-play job. And I think, honestly, Fowler is not eminently qualified to be a number one play-by-play guy. He's a hell of a studio guy, but they put him in positions where he is not going to excel. The broadcast is not going to excel, but they do it anyway because Fowler has the name, Herbstreet has the name, rather than take a guy like Sean McDonough, who I think is as good as any play-by-play guy in America, who was a misfit in the John Gruden ridiculousness of Monday Night Football, (laughs) right? So they put him in the second or third broadcast when he's imminently a better football play-by-play guy than Chris Fowler. But Fowler is the number one guy. Now I will say that Fowler is very good at tennis. I think he's mm. a very good and he's a very good studio guy and he's a very good host. But ESPN has been doing this for a while now, taking name people and putting them in situations or positions where they take advantage of that name and not necessarily the thing they do best. You understand that point? Sure. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I I don't want the Chris Fowler fans to start throwing stuff at your podcast and say that, you know, that guy, because Fowler's a a really good broadcaster. I just think in that position, that's not his, that's not the best thing he does. So what is that line then that they're crossing between studio and play by play? What, where's the, where's the qualification difference between those two positions? They're doing it much more now, right? Um, uh, Kevin Connors is a guy I talked to a few weeks ago, right. and he's going from he's trying to do more of that sp- that studio sports center stuff and more live play by play stuff. Steve Levy has moved into more um, live play by play stuff. So what's the difference? Well, you know the jobs are considerably different. Sure. The talents are considerably different. Um, commanding a studio for an hour is a much different skill set than commanding a a, a, a play by play gig for three and a half hours. They're just different skill sets and um, very few people have those those comparable those skill sets comparably right Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people like Mike Tirico I'm not a big fan of Tirico in one respect I think he talks too much 
ironically. There's a guy who broadcasts and talking about a broadcaster who talks too much, but I think he tries to pack too much information in, too much of a, hey, look at me, I know everything. I know, I do, I know everything. Here it is. Rather than give us those snippets of information like Al Michaels does. Al Michaels is 70-some years old and still on top of his game. He's extremely right. succinct in what yes, he delivers. Yes, and it's boom, and he gives it to you, and you get the information about that particular moment in the game, and he always has the information to that particular moment in the game and doesn't try and cram it into the you – know, doesn't mm-hmm. try to cram 10 pounds into an 8-pound bag. I think Tariko tries to do that sometimes, though I think he's one of those guys who is almost as imminently successful as a studio guy as he is a play-by-play guy. And you don't see a lot of that because the skill sets are so different. Certainly. So do you think there's an opportunity for – well, I've actually seen it on uh, NBA TV where they'll have what they call a players-only game where it's broadcasting but kind of almost just like a, a community-watching experience where you've got four or five former players from the NBA and the WNBA providing commentary. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I remember when I played with that guy when he was a rookie. Yeah, yeah he had this soft shot, and now he's, he's really molded. And, and it's more anecdotal than it is – and it seems that other broadcasts seem to have that more anecdotal that rather than focus on the action yeah. type of broadcast. Well, here's here's the thing. And and for a guy who teaches sports broadcasting and a guy who's talking to a young man who would like to get a sports broadcasting guy uh, job soon, um, I will say that the challenges are greater for us, especially television now, because so much of what goes on in that game, we can give it to you graphically. We can give it to you visually. You don't have to necessarily get it from the announcer. We know it's first down and 10. We know what the score is. We know where they are on the field. We know all of that without the announcer telling us that on television. And the, and the, play, and the, uh, the, the video replays come in so quickly. And the graphics fly all over the place. And they slide in and they slide out. And, and, you, and you, don't really, you don't really need the play-by-play and color announcers to understand what's happening in the game. So... We're in a situation now where we have to find the right style, the right presentation, so that those announcers are imminently um, um, uh, important to that show without, without duplicating exactly what the audience is seeing on the screen. And I think we do that to very success. I think some broadcasts, the announcers just talk, and they, they might as well be in a phone booth in Peoria while the game's being played in Houston because it doesn't sound like they're even watching the same game. Mm-hmm. They're just BSing about some stuff or the, that we're watching an Indians-Royals uh, game, and they're talking about the Yankees and the Red Sox, right? Or they're talking about uh, war, and they're talking about other things that are completely away from the show. So that's one way to do it. Another one is to pack so much, so many storylines into a broadcast that it just gets overwhelming. The announcers just don't shut up, right? Right. So we find, and, and your generation's going to figure this out, we, we f- have to find ways to make the announcers relevant in a, in, a, in a system now that is so visually pleasing, that is so easy, uh, th- in which you have such ease of getting information, that we're still important to the broadcast, right? I don't need, I, I've got my phone here. You don't have to tell me all that stuff. I can get it off my phone. Bring something to the show. Bring something to the television show that I can't get anywhere else. And I think some broadcasters are good at that now and some are not so good. 
going back to the idea of athletes coming into the booth, that's certainly something mm-hmm. is being able to say, I was in that huddle. I know what that call yeah. sounds like. I know by the variation in the, in the voice, how he's feeling. They're mm-hmm. able to tell that from being a part of the culture. Broadcasters traditionally trained, as we're talking right, about, right. people who traditionally Craft, trained craftsmen and people women. who have yeah. gone through uh-huh. a semester or two of this <laughs> would don't have that that understanding or that that toolkit to be able to yeah. bring to the booth. Well, what the what the what the athletes bring to the booth uh, are uh, a knowledge of their game, a knowledge of its trends and its people and, and how the game is played. What they don't have, of course, is a sense for how games are broadcast. And uh, as you probably heard me say, and I've said a million times, the only people who think broadcasting is easy are those who have never tried it. Right? Oh, of course. And so um, they can sit down and watch the game, but they end up sometimes talking about themselves too much mm-hmm. or getting too X's and O's or getting too deep into it. It gets too esoteric. So the people who are really good at it, the Tony Romos, can take esoterica and they can make it um, easy to understand for the audience. Mm-hmm. Right? They can take personality and make that likable to the audience. John Madden was like that, as I mentioned. Madden had that great combination of personality and there's this football, rah, the grunts and the guys are down in the trenches. You know, so the average person could understand football. Romo does that with his personality. He's, he's passionate about it. It's, in, it's infectious. You know, his enthusiasm for the game is infectious. The audience gets that. But it's really hard for most people who've never broadcast to sit down and broadcast a game. They've got the microphone. Somebody's talking in their ear. They've got a chart in front of them. There's two or three monitors. They've got to watch the game down there. They've got to pay attention to what's over here. There's a, some graphics that are coming up here. Oh, they've got a replay. Then they've got to telestrate something. And ah! Pretty soon your mind is just a mush, right? Because you're not trained on the tools that make television work. Right. I... You mentioned people who are willing to go down into this nitty-gritty detail that really no one needs in the broadcast, almost. (laughs) One of the people that comes to mind when I think of those types of broadcasters is Hubie Brown, former coach, fantastic guy, clearly knows the game and has lived and breathed it his entire life. But many times during his broadcast, I'll hear him start talking about these X's and O's that – well, now we're three plays behind, and I kind of care more about what's going on now than about how the pick and roll was run 23 years ago, and it's yeah. a little bit different. Or 43 an years ago. Yubi's <laughs> about 85 yeah. years old. Yeah, he's, he's definitely one of those guys that goes too far into one element of the yeah. game, and you can tell that that's their strong suit, but maybe it doesn't match well mm-hmm. with the pattern of broadcasting and where it's going now. But um, I want to sh- change gears just a little sure. bit here. Um, with podcasts, a uh, little bit of... Uh, redundancy here as we're conducting one on our own but i wanted to talk about podcasts as far as uh there's a an exploding trend where athletes are being able to command the microphone and have their perspective and their platform enhanced because they're not um they're really unbridled from a network and and having any type of of direction or discernment given to them no producer no editor really Mm -hmm. Um, they might have a technical producer someone to make them sound good but aside from that um Vince Carter and Kent Bazemore for The Ringer, um, J.J. Reddick for The Ringer, Jalen Rose with ESPN after a 13-year playing career in the Fab Five at Michigan, and the analyst on NBA also has a podcast. Um, In this industry that we cover, why should 
radio personalities continue to try to deliver new content when we could be monitored by a network or have to go through certain hoops or <laughs> ride this ride when I could very easily step outside the building and record something different, new, right. fresh. Well, if you're working for a radio station or a network or you're in the system, if that's the right way to sure, put it, sure. you have a natural audience, you have a natural discipline, you have a natural structure, and that's easy. Outside of that, you can expand your world by podcasting, but you have to create the audience, you, you have to find the audience, you have to build it, you have to somehow monetize it if you're going to make that part of your business presentation or the presentation of your business or your industry, right? So um, you would stay in it. You, what you really would like to do, I suppose, is be in the old school and in the new school at the same time, right? Of course. You want to be in the old school where you can you can make some money and you can follow the disciplined, structured business. And in the new school where you can be a little looser, have some fun, you're unbridled, to take your word. And, and, and those things are all true. Um, the thing about it is is that, I mean, I don't know how many there are. I used to see the stats on how many podcasts there are, millions. You know, I don't know how many around the world. A million and one now. Got to be in the millions, yeah, right? Certainly. And how many of those millions are unqualified to be interesting storytellers for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 minutes at a time? Almost all of them, if you look at it statistically, right? Mm-hmm. Not that many in the big picture are interesting, monetizable, uh, can be financially free. Those who are really good at it, of course, are making good money at it now. They figured mm-hmm. out how to do this. So it comes down to what do you have to say? How well did you say it? How interesting are you? Is it fresh enough so somebody's going to listen to it once a week or twice a week or however often you do it? And not that many people are disciplined enough to be really good at it because it, it it's hard. It's hard to be really good at broadcasting. So because you can sit down and talk about something for 60 minutes at a time doesn't necessarily make that a good program. You can do it. That's mm-hmm. awesome. We can, we can publish. I publish my, I air my podcast as a radio station, as a radio show on the radio station, and then I air it, and then I put it on, on, on podcasts, on Apple and Stitcher and right. all those. And so um, you can do all of that. But to be interesting and informative and do a quality presentation is hard work. And I'm not sure how many are really dedicated enough to make it hard work and uh, to do that hard work in the long run. It, it, it is hard work to put together good content. And, but when I think about TV and, and podcasts and radio, they tend to, the more popular ones tend to be personalities that have that discipline. But it's very easy, it sounds like, from my perspective, to see these TV personalities that can be inauthentic um, trying to create something that isn't there, yeah. and then that content level just dips. Yeah. I don't want to name too many names, oh, but come on. Stephen A. Smith. Right. I, I know he's an incredibly hardworking guy, and he's got phenomenal relationships inside his business, but he feels more theatrical by the day. Skip Bayless is another one where just seems to enjoy hearing himself talk as much as he enjoys actually talking yeah. in general. <laughs> um, I don't know if either of those guys had a podcast I would be inclined to listen but, I, I, I doubt if I would either. It's the style. I, I really don't like the style, um, the, the, the contrived anger, the contrived conflict, the contrived disagreement. I mean, nobody can disagree about things for two and a half hours every day. But they've still got the prime slot. They on do. ESPN. They do. And but, partly because those programs, they get attention. 
You know, we've talked about this. Um, Skip Bayless has an audience of three or four hundred thousand people and Twitter followers of about three million people. Right. right. So, so we know we know what game they're playing. We know exactly what game they're playing. And, and those shows are really inexpensive. And even if they get three, four hundred thousand people viewing, they're still profitable. Even at five million dollars a year that Bayless makes at Fox, um, they're still profitable programs because they're just a couple people in a studio with some cameras and they're really cheap in the big picture. They're inexpensive. It's the people like, um, like Charles Barkley who really make television, make broadcasting what it is because he brings his personality and he brings, um, um, a likability and, 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 and an uncertainty, a surprise factor to the show. Nothing surprises you about what Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless do any longer. Nothing. It's the same thing every single day. It's like watching, it's like watching or listening to conservative talk radio all day long or liberal talk radio all day long or liberal television or conservative television. They're not going to do anything that surprises you. Charles Parkley is going to surprise you. Tony Romo is going to surprise you. Tony Romo's going to say something where you sit back in your couch and go, wow, I never thought of that. We don't have enough of that. We don't have enough of that in the business. We have too much of the contrived Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, um, talking head studio stuff. ESPN is the king of television, of course, and media, but they're the king of the talking head television shows. I don't even watch them. I can't even tell you which shows they are now right. because they just don't do anything for me. You know? Right. So, so what's, what's I don't preventing... know if I answered your question, but I did get no, it off I, my chest. Okay? <laughs> I could tell you had it. No. Uh, so what's preventing big radio markets that have, uh, you know, like L.A.? What's, what's preventing L.A. from just grabbing Jalen Rose from ESPN and putting him on drive time radio if – you want to get listeners, yeah. you know, grab someone who's going to surprise you a little bit rather than... You probably picked the wrong market for that. <laughs> I actually did a radio show once, um, and, I, and it was titled uh, Four Stations and Few Listeners. It was like a, uh, an investigative radio report. Uh, sports radio in L.A. is just... They did have four stations. Then they had three. I believe they have a fourth one again. And uh, none of them are in the top 30 in the market. It's a market with about 45 or 50 radio stations. Mm -hmm. And then Riverside and and Santa Barbara and uh, Long Beach. I mean, they have all these side markets as well. And uh, so that's a bad that's a bad um, um, example. And not that you brought a bad example, but it's a it's just not not a market that's going to pay the kind of people to get an audience that. Is 30th sure. in the market. New York, maybe. Chicago, maybe. Um, Detroit, Philadelphia, Boston, places where sports right. radio does pretty well. But they're not going to pay Jalen Rose the kind of money that ESPN's paying him. Mm -hmm. So they'll try and get out of Jalen Rose what they can on television and on podcasting and on the radio and, and have that multimedia, multi-platform presentation that only ESPN can give him um, because local radio is not going to pay and have the audience that Jalen Rose is going to get, even probably in New York. Mm -hmm. Maybe in New York, but but not anywhere else. It's just interesting to think that we, we spend so much time trying to put together content people want to listen to, and really at the end of the day they want to hear something that 
is going to surprise them, something that they couldn't find out on their own with the resources at their fingertips. And who better to do that than people who have access right. that they don't have? Right. And those people, if, if you were to put me in a radio station, eventually I feel like I could build the contacts and build the connections it would take to provide something that would give me content that might be new, but I'm, I will never be able to tell you what it's like to have a closed door players only meeting where we're throwing water bottles or Gatorade at each other <laughs> in frustration to only to go on to win that playoff series in yeah. seven. Yeah, but 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 I think if you have the person who who's been in that locker room and and can tell you what it's like at the end of game 7 to move on in the playoffs or win the whole darn thing sitting next to somebody who is a professional broadcaster, a professional um um anchor, a professional um um circus um what's the um what's the guy in the who runs the circus right? the ringleader the ringleader right sure. thank you very much the <laughs> the ringleader yeah of course three rings and uh somebody who's moving it along most former athletes don't have the the business savvy to run the the interview to run the program to run the content they have lots of interesting things to say but they can't get you in and out they can't get you from here to there they can't get you from a to b to c to d to e we still need you and I, they need us they need us to to get them from point a to point z because while they're interesting and have lots of things to say they couldn't master running the show. They couldn't be the ringleader. They couldn't be the anchor of the show. They couldn't get in and out. They couldn't watch the clock. They couldn't move it along. No, intuitively, as you're doing, when to change the subject and when to go on to something else, right? Mm -hmm. Those things are trained. Those become innate in you when you do it for a long time, right? And so the athletes are there for a reason, but they can't just do it themselves. There are an extraordinary... There are extraordinary examples of, of athletes who have become really good at this other stuff. I worked with one in San Francisco. Um, the, the play-by-play announcer for television in San Francisco has been doing it for close to 30 years now. Uh, his name is Dwayne uh, Kuyper, and he was a big league player. And, uh, and he works with Mike Kruko, who was a former pitcher. Kuyper was a, an infielder, mostly for the Indians, late in his career, played for the Giants, hit one career home run, one in his entire career. He was a left-handed batter, second baseman, right-hander. And he has become a really, really, really good play-by-play announcer on both television and radio, right? But that, that was because of a lot of hard work and some opportunities, and he took advantage of it, and, and he's just really honed the craft. Most of the time, that doesn't happen. You know, Pat Summerall worked with uh, John Madden when they started. Yeah. Summerall was a football player, right? And Buck Martinez does play-by-play in Toronto. He was a former player. He's one of the play-by-play guys. So there, there are people who do it, but, but um, not that many because the, the, the skills need to be learned. They need to be honed. They need to be uh, fine-tuned. And uh, most um, athletes who get into the business don't do that. Hmm. They're ill-prepared for it. So what is... So if, you, if you're putting together one of these shows, you're trying to grab someone who can usher the show along, but then maybe pair them with someone who has the insight or the background that a player would offer. Is, is that mm-hmm. maybe the ideal format right. now for, for radio? Yeah. One of the hardest things to learn in radio and in radio management, and um, sometimes you just get lucky, but is to figure out which two human beings should be working together. Um, w- what what is that formula? The X 
the ex-jock or the funny person, if he or she's not an ex-jock, maybe it's the personality person. The other uh, person is the is the um, traffic cop, um, the anchor. Um, pick another name, pick another metaphor, right? Sure, we can find sure, one. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard. And to be honest with you, not that many people in management, uh, people, managers in radio are that good at it. Sometimes you just get lucky, right? But you need different personalities. You need different backgrounds. You need different experiences. You need different voices. I'll be honest with you. There's a radio station in this market in Lincoln that has some pretty good young talent. I'm not going to say which one. Some pretty good young talent on it. And they've paired some pretty good young talent together. But too many of them sound alike. Hmm. Too many of them sound very much alike. And you can't have that. You got to have the one guy over here and the other person over here so the audience can keep track of them. That's just one of the little things you have to worry about. Why do I want two people with exactly the same life experiences? I don't. I don't want two people who sound alike. Two people have the same life experiences. I probably don't want two people who are the same age. I want different, I want different backgrounds in that respect. I want different personalities. I want different backgrounds. I might even want a different cultural uh, view of things. I, I want people who, are, who can, can, can disagree but don't sound contrived in their conflict, uh, who, can, who are comfortable enough with each other so they can disagree and still be likable in their disagreement over something. Mm -hmm. And that is not easy. Put all of that stuff, just all the stuff I listed, and that's just a partial list of what you're looking for when you're trying to find radio announcers or podcast hosts or, or, or anybody together and, and then try and find the perfect match. It's really hard. It is really hard. One of the reasons why when you do get the perfect match that works you do everything you can to keep them together. Everything. That's all I want to talk about about radio. Then. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty exhaustive list and a pretty overwhelming task if I'm a program director at any, at any radio station. Well, in your position now, if I, if I can butt in in the middle of whatever you were saying, sorry Please, about that. No. In your position now is what you want to do is learn as much about the business as you can, do as many things as you can, um, try to do play-by-play, -play, try to do interview shows, try to do hosting shows, try to do everything you can to learn every part of the business so that when that door opens to a hosting job or a podcasting job or a play-by-play -play job, you're ready for it. And then hope that you, find, that you work for somebody who's figured out the best formula for you to be successful in addition to the formula you have to be successful. A part of that also sounds like taking advantage of every opportunity to establish credibility and going back to the idea of athletes moving into the booth, they instantly have credibility the moment they walk in the door. Um, and they don't have to build that credibility with listeners. Whereas anytime I hear a new voice or someone's first time uh, calling a game, I'm wary. I'm, I'm paying more attention than I am when I'm listening to Al Michaels, who I've right. trusted to broadcast games right. basically my entire life. Um, from the inside, you know what drives me crazy from the inside, and I've, and I've worked with people who have done it both ways. <clears throat> and it's the, the ex-jock who gets a job and sits down with the professionals, but he shows up 15 minutes before the show starts. That drives me crazy. Who's not prepared, who just thinks he can get by on his ex-jock ability. And every once in a while, you have somebody who is so good they can get by just on their ex-jock ability. But the people who put in the time, they put in the effort, they work hard, I'm happy to 
I'm happy to work with them and show them how the broadcast business works. I'm happy to give them every piece of information I've learned over the years because I know they're willing to spend as much time to be a good broadcaster as they did being a good hitter or a good pass receiver or a good uh, shot in basketball. That They have realized that they have to work hard to do this. I'm not going to give the time of day whoever it is, to, to, to a jock who just walks in three minutes before the show starts with no notes and just thinks that me, I, ex-jock, can sit down in front of a microphone. But the people who are doing a good job, you can tell Roma works hard at it. You can tell John Madden worked hard at it. Um, you can tell um, the people who are really good at it because they make it sound easy. Those, those of us who are good at broadcasting, and I'll include both of us if I may, those of us who are good at broadcasting have worked so hard at it, we make it sound easy when we know it's not. And the ex-jocks and the other people who work in the business have made it sound easy, and, and you can just tell they've worked so hard at it to make it sound like it's easy. To, to the credit of athletes, it definitely takes a preparedness every day for their profession before mm-hmm. moving into the booth, but... Um, for any personality, radio, TV, in uh, my opinion, the best ones are the ones that can kind of weave in and out of topics, sounds competent, have a broad depth of knowledge about a broad depth of topics. Right. Um, but as you said, this is a job where you have to be prepared. However, there's so much variability within sports that you could show up and there's a scandal in the Big 12 or – um, USA Gymnastics program is getting turned upside down and you have to be ready to talk about it that day and field calls right. and respond. How do you prepare in this industry when there's so much variability and anything could happen or go wrong on any given day? Well, I think that's pretty easy. It's, a hard, it's hard work, but it's pretty easy. You just stay on top of it every single day. I mean, seven days a week. You just stay on top of it. You read the news. You, I, would, I, I would say you read the newspaper every day, but we know better than that, right? So you just stay on top of it every day, however that is, on your phone, on your computer, uh, talking to people, really good talk show hosts, uh, build um, or interview hosts or podcast hosts, build great relationships with the people they cover um, so that they can get them on the phone if something big happens. So you just have to stay on top of it every single day. That's why I think Here's a a good example, I think, that some people don't quite understand. They think that people who are anchors on television, the anchor people on television, whether it's local or national, they think they're there because they're just pretty and they have a good voice and they connect well with the camera. And those things are true. You get to those jobs because you look good on camera, you're likable, and and you're, you're, you're handsome or pretty or or visually likable. I'm being as careful as I can, right? Mm -hmm. But one step beyond that is when you're anchoring, and it's the same thing if you're doing a a sports show or a news talk show, is that you have to know a lot about a lot. Because the one day that you don't pay attention to what's going on as as an anchor person on television is the day that you need it. And you need to know a lot about a lot. The same thing that we have in in sports. You have to know a lot about a lot. So when a scandal breaks or a news story breaks or somebody passes away or some big event happens, you don't have to spend five minutes on your phone looking it up. You already know the basics and you can talk about it while you're looking at your phone to get the background stuff. So, I mean, duh, the more you know, the more you know. 
the more you know, the better prepared you are to be successful in this business. And you can't just wing it. You can't just fake it. You ever find yourself in one of those positions where you were completely reactive to a story, either coming in to do your radio show or in the middle of a broadcast or when you were working the sideline, was there ever a time where something just caught you blindsided and you had to respond and come up with something that you hadn't prepared for, a storyline or anything along those lines? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Maybe I I've the ex- odds were good. <laughs> maybe I've excised that from my mind. I can't sure. think of a good example right now, um, but I, I'm absolutely convinced <laughs> if you do it long enough, um, you'll have those situations. But you can almost always, you almost always find something, something back here while you're getting yourself organized, while you're getting yourself mentally organized mm-hmm. for uh, for talking about something. Um, Gosh, if I had a minute, I'd probably think of something. Um, um, uh, get back to me later. Yeah, I'll, no, you know, sure. Of course, when, when we're done recording this, of course, I'll think of something, but I can't. <laughs> I look forward no, to it. No, of course, Brad, it has never <laughs> happened in my career. I have never felt ill-prepared <laughs> once in my entire career. Yeah. Well, that's that's the goal. Yeah, um, that, and, uh, <laughs> that and monetizing this podcast. Th- that's right, that's right. Um, uh, to, uh, this is actually coming down to the end here, and there's a few questions sure. that I just like to ask every guest that I talk sure. to. Uh, they're tailored a little bit towards your profession, mm-hmm. but basically they're kind of getting at the human element here. That we, when we when we see professionals on their game, they seem to be able to deliver some type of product, whether it is broadcasting or whether it is general managing of a, of, of a company, mm-hmm. of a team, whatever right. the case may be, they deliver us a product that we don't know that we could deliver ourselves unless we had done it for 20 years like they did. Right. So for you, um, what was, um, to, to become that human being again, that, that <laughs> built up to this, when you were traveling and you were in your phase of covering sports where you had to go around and follow the team, was there ever like a restaurant or a meal that you found that felt like this was a, a, a secret that only you and the other people who were broadcasting with you knew something that was, or maybe it was a meal that you're just like, this is the best road meal that you could possibly have. Anytime you're following a team, you always got it. Every time you went to the city, anything like that. Well, we only got it once, but I will tell you the best meal I ever had on the road was in Lafayette, Louisiana. San Jose State was playing uh, what used to be the Southwestern Louisiana Ragin Cajuns. Now it's called Louisiana Lafayette, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Friday night before a Saturday night game, we're in there on Friday night, and we, and the, the broadcaster of the local team and the sports information director at Southwestern Louisiana at um, La- Lafayette took us to a, a, an authentic Cajun six or seven course Cajun meal with Zydeco all the way down to the grandfather, the father, and the grandson, the seven-year-old doing Zydeco, right? And that's the best road meal I have ever had in my life. And my partner, Dave Ellis, uh, will tell you the same thing, okay? So there you go. It's a consensus in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Love that answer. Uh, As far as either personally or professional... um, what was one of the most impactful books that you've read? Things that you'll think about back to. I, I remember when I read that book that it's it's hung with you. What is if you could recommend a book to me or any other young broadcaster, someone who wants to be successful, either personally or professionally? What would be something you'd recommend they read? <laughs> I don't read a lot of books about broadcasting. I mean, 
technical things, textbooks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do that. I try to stay one <laughs> chapter ahead of the students, right? Uh, sure. Okay. So I don't read a lot of those. Um, what are the best books? Uh, what book would I, would I hope you would read? Yeah. Um, gosh, um, probably as good a book as I've ever read um, is a book titled To Kill a Mockingbird. I, I think everybody should read that. Absolutely. Um, um, gosh, now you've really got me on the spot. I'm, I'm acting like I've never <laughs> thought of anything off the top of my head in the history of my career. Um, well, are, have you ever thought about writing a book? I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. I don't know that anybody's really that interested in what I have to say. It doesn't need to be uh, like a To Kill a Mockingbird. <clears throat> right, right. And it wouldn't be. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, what other books um, have I read that you must read? Um, gosh, um, my, my, um, uh, I, I read more like funky, um, stories. Um, I just read a book about the 1968 Olympics. I just read a book about, um, Satchel Paige in the Dominican Republic hmm. in the 1930s. Um, um, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed, those Brad, to tell no, you. No, I, you know, I, as you're probably you're probably fishing for. Yeah, I read Al Michaels' book. I have not. No. Okay, <laughs> um, I read Joe Buck's book. I have not. Right, um, I haven't. Um, I, I'm more interested in like histor- history. Sure, <laughs> more history than yeah. than that kind of stuff. If that's the case, then yeah. that's that's yeah. what it is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Certainly. Okay. Um, who in our business in this field of sports broadcasting who do you think might be one of the people who doesn't get the type of respect that you think maybe they should well i mentioned him i don't know if he's the guy but i mentioned mcdonough a little bit earlier i think he's technically as sound as you can get um he really is uh the voice the presentation the timing um so but he's but he's noted but but he he is notoriety um who ha- who doesn't get the kind of respect they they should? Um, well, I I think she gets respect. I think Holly Rowe is as good at at her job as anybody. Um, understands her job as well as anybody. I think she gets some attention. Uh, she's gotten a lot of attention the last couple of years because of her battles with cancer, but her work is really really good. Um, He's gotten a lot of attention. I mentioned him earlier. I think John Miller in San Francisco is the best baseball announcer in America right now. He's the best stylist. He's the best storyteller. He's the technically the very best guy in, in Major League Baseball right now. Um, you would probably say Vin Scully was, but Vin retired. Um, so, But I, get, I think he's been noted. He was on television for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, that's that's a, that's a pretty good list. You know, I should just write the, you know, email me the questions next time, will you? So yeah, I can I should have given like, you yeah, a heads up. No, no, that don't do that, please. Don't no, that. like I said, that was to bring the human element. In yeah, the there you of, go. There you go. Of, uh, of the end of the podcast. Well, thank you, John, very much for being here. John Schrader, watch the media on KRNU and on SoundCloud as well. Thank you for being here. Today. And, really on appreciate iTunes, and on iTunes. And on iTunes. Yeah. You Anywhere know, podcasts can be found. I'm not selling it, but I should. Right? We decided that. If we've learned anything, I said I should sell it, right? Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.